Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back on the cartoons and movies and TV shows of our youth to see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we're doing another listener request, right? This is a listener request. It is a listener request. Mm -hmm. And here's the deal. This is sort of a listener request, but it's sort of not. We have a listener request for the Little Mermaid animated series. Now, we don't know who you are that asked. I have a feeling it's Lilac? Is that her name? Maybe. I think so. But I'm not sure. It came to us like months and months and months and months ago. And I don't remember who it is. And I can't find the message where it got sent. And I remember Sean and I talking back then that if we're going to do it, we should do the movie first. So here we are doing the movie first, the animated series. And I believe we also got a request in that request for the anime of The Little Mermaid, Hmm. which is uh, something we could talk about during the show. I'm hoping that whoever it was that requested it will send us a message and tell us that you were the one who requested it because I cannot figure it out who it is. But we're going to do it anyways because yeah. that's that's how we roll. So until then, the episode we're doing this week is The Little Mermaid. Now, this is one that, man, I, I have a feeling I saw this in the theater, but I cannot remember. Like, you know, you get to a point where this movie came out in 1989. We were six. I have a distinct memory of the theater. See, so. I, I don't. And, and I don't know, honestly, how many movies, in, like in theater movies, my parents took me to when I was that young. I get the feeling that it wasn't a lot because I know that my like my grandparents tended to, to buy disney like vhs's and i watched a lot of movies that i think other people watched in the theater i watched them you know at my grandparents house so i i honestly i cannot remember if i had a if i had a theater experience for this movie see i i definitely did and my sister was born the year almost a year to the day before this movie came out so she was a, a year old when this movie came out in the theater, and I remember seeing it with my parents, uh, my brother, my infant one-year-old sister, and myself in 1989. And I remember going to the Laguna Hills Mall Theater that is no longer there. It's gone. And and I remember waiting in line to see the movie there, and that's where we saw it. And I remember watching it over and over again on VHS at home because she was obsessed with the movie. And I remember in 96 when it got re-released to the theater and we all went together as a family again. (laughs) So I, and I now have a four-year-old daughter. Who's obsessed with it. Who's obsessed with it and a wife who is obsessed with it. And so The Little Mermaid is on constant rotation. This is the first episode in eight, now 82 episodes that I seriously contemplated phoning it in and not watching it because I can quote this movie so well 
and I've seen it so many times as of the last couple of years. Well, man, I I definitely watched it uh, for for uh, I watched it last night with with Kathy, who Kathy is going to join us in a little bit to talk about it because this is her favorite movie of all time. Well, her favorite movie of her of her childhood. Yeah, we don't know when she's gonna be coming in, but at some point, I think she she said when she gets here, she she wanted to say something. So. Yeah, but but uh, I had I was struggling last night to to watch the damn thing. I was I was trying to stream it, and it was just my computer was not cooperating. I kept getting sync issues, so I didn't, eventually I just downloaded it. I downloaded like a really nice version of it, and I watched it, and it was man, there were so many things about the movie that I didn't remember. Because it had been so, I mean, I probably haven't sat down and watched the movie start to finish in probably like 20 years. I was going to say probably about 20 years. Okay. So for me, it's been about a week. Yeah. So (laughs) there was a lot of stuff when I watched it and I was like, oh my God, really? That was what that was? Or this person was that? And Kathy's just nodding going, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't remember that? And I was like, no, I don't. Well, you and I were not the demographic. We were not. Kathy was. So if you don't know what The Little Mermaid is, it's a Disney film. It's an animated musical fantasy film that was released November 17th, 1989. Can you believe this movie is 29 years old? Almost. That's nuts to me. That's absolutely crazy. (laughs) Absolutely crazy. I can't believe it. It's their 28th Disney animated feature film. And it had an original budget of $40 million, and in its initial box office take, it made $84 million. So I'd say that's a success. Yep. At the moment, The Little Mermaid currently holds a lifetime gross of $211 million worldwide because they keep re-releasing it in theaters. And that's not discussing the home video release, which they made up just truckloads of money. You know, Dis- Disney, Disney utilizes a like what what is it called like manufactured scarcity where they'll they'll release a movie on v or not vhs anymore but they'll release a movie on home video and they'll only do it for a limited time only and then they put it back in the disney vault and you can't get it anymore you know it's funny that you mentioned that i was gonna wait to talk about that but you brought it up so let's discuss it so this movie this is the first movie that got put out on video release within a year of it coming out before that actually disney was was rather hesitant to release any of their films on video at all mm-hmm. on home video they they were actually what they would do is they would make a movie and then they would wait seven eight years and then turn around and do a theatrical re-release and so they were making money on re-releasing films in the box office and, and getting revenue that way because they knew if they created artificial scarcity where people had seen the movie once and then wanted to go back and see it and couldn't, that they'd either have to try and track down a bootleg copy on the streets back in the day mm-hmm. or wait seven, eight, ten years until it was back in the theater. Watch it This again. was the first time that it came out on video right away. And Disney mm-hmm. then learned their lesson. That if mm-hmm. we do that, we're going to make a ton of money. So after this was the very first movie that did it, and they've all done it since, where the movie comes out, and then in less than a year, they yeah, it's release like six it, months later. Six months later, they release it on video while the hype is still high, and they make truckloads of money on the home video, and then they sort of quietly scale it back. So then, over the next couple of years, they make it so you can't get a copy of Little they're Mermaid not, yeah, anymore. They're not selling it in stores anymore, and they'll say, "Oh, Little Mermaid's in the Disney Vault," and then you got to wait till they release it in the vault. Uh, out of the vault. They do that now with, with, with all of their movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you can still get Moana, but there are movies from, you know, like you can't buy Hercules. Yeah. You have to, 
they, they've uh, they've put it on. They put it on. I think Hercules right now is on Netflix. Like, there's a bunch of them on Netflix. I know because Hercules Her- is also in our regular rotation. At yeah, home. but I know that Disney is is working on creating their own streaming service. So I feel like once they have that going, all of their movies are going to be up there all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would pay for it. So this movie actually is credited with putting Disney back on the map. It's the first movie. And you think about it, this movie was thirty almost thirty years ago. This is the movie that sort of kickstarted the Disney Renaissance uh, because they hadn't really made an anim well they they had made an animated movie from like there had been animated movies made between 1960 and 1989 yeah but they weren't as well received well I would say it, I would probably because this is released in 89 so I mm-hmm. would actually say it was probably from the end of, so Jungle Book came out at the end of the 60s I thought Jungle Book was like 64 68 I think 68 yeah so, so it's the end of the 60s and so you had like Robin Hood and that and you had all these movies and then in the 70s it was like Aristocrats yeah The Rescuers Right. Yeah. Um, and then by the 1980s, Black Cauldron was the 80s, and and, Fo- and Fox and the Hound. Yeah. Right. The and Great so you, Mouse Detective. Great Mouse Detective. Yeah. And so you had some of these movies, uh, Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company. And you yeah. had movies that not, aren't necessarily bad. Some of those that we named off, but are they actually weren't good, but they weren't blockbusters. They weren't huge hits. Yeah. So Disney sort of went through a weird transition. I think we talked about that back when we talked about the Jetsons and uh, the Scooby Doo uh, Halloween movie. Uh, a little bit because Hanna Barbera <laughs> took advantage of that and got really big as a result. And this movie sort of credited as being the one yeah, that, that brought put Disney him, back. It put them back. It 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 kickstarted the the Disney Renaissance. And if you think about it, it was Little Mermaid, and then the next big ones were you had Beauty and the Beast, uh, Aladdin, Lion King. Can you believe Beauty and the Beast came out like 1991? Holy God! Yeah. So That's crazy. So it was Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, I think, was 92. And then you had Lion King in 94. And then you had Hunchback and Notre Dame. And you had Tarzan and Poc... I think I skipped Pocahontas. I think Pocahontas came out in, like, 95. Pocahontas, Hunchback, Tarzan, uh, Hercules. All those great movies that came out in the 90s. But Little Mermaid was the beginning of that. That's, that's what put them back on the map. That's what got Disney to be a household name again. And got everyone clamoring for that good old Disney animation. So before we continue on, uh, maybe we just give a quick synopsis, sort of in our own words. I'm not going to read off anything. I Here's here's a synopsis I'm going to give. The, the plot for this movie is recycled into The Shape of Water. Slash splash. Yeah, a little bit. So you have fish and human fall in love. Love is uh, not allowed for whatever reason. Two people go through str- biology. Yeah. Fish and human go through struggles, come out the other side, still in love. Yeah. And in this one, they, they get to be together. Um, yeah. splash and the shape of water. Uh, maybe not. Yeah. So. No, I, I would say that spoiler. Yeah. My, uh, whatever. I don't care. Spoiler alert. No, my synopsis of the movie is, uh, bratty teenager doesn't listen to her father. And causes a world of trouble for everyone involved. And is just generally stupid for about an hour and ten minutes. Before her Being dad... Being reined in by somebody else fixing her problem. Yeah, before her dad... Prince Eric and her dad, basically. Yeah, before her dad finally like relents and is like, okay, fine. And then like... It's like, just get out of the house. Yeah, just leave. Fine. I don't, I don't need this headache anymore. I've got six other daughters. So the screenplay for this movie is Ron Clements. And we've discussed Ron Clements before, but... Let's kind of get into him a little bit. He's born. He was born in Iowa, 
And he started his career as an animator for Hanna-Barbera, but that only lasted a couple of months before he got accepted to Disney's talent development program. And his first animated film that he worked on was The Rescuers and, and then Pete's Dragon in 1977. And he was the supervising animator for The Fox and the Hound, where he made a good friend. And uh, him and that friend is John Musker. They ended up then working on The Black Cauldron. This is their first true team-up. Yeah. And from then on, they proposed a film adaptation of Basil of Baker Street. If you don't know what that is, it's essentially The Great Mask Detective, yeah. which is the a movie that ended up getting made. And then they both attempted to get Treasure Planet greenlit several times before it eventually went into production. That's where we last talked about them, was our mm-hmm. episode on Treasure Planet. During the late 80s period, it was the uh, first of three attempts, uh, Treasure Planet, uh, the, when, when, when Little Mermaid was getting made. And Musker and Clements ended up working next on Aladdin and then Hercules. And then they did Treasure Planet. And then they worked on a now dead project called uh, Freddy Cat. And they quit. They quit Disney because of some problems with the head of animation. And then the head of animation became John Lasseter and he invited them back. So they rejoined the Disney fold. Uh, one year later. So they left in 2005. They rejoined 2006. I didn't put that in the notes. I just, mm-hmm. I, I'm weird. So they came back 2006. They worked on The Princess and the Frog, which, oh my God, if you haven't seen that movie, it is one of the you know, best I, I ones was, they've ever made. I was just listening to, I've been listening to uh, Disney songs on uh, Spotify. The music is so good for The Princess and the Frog. I was listening to the uh, the one that Jim Cummings did. Uh, the oh, Evangeline. Eva- Evangeline. Evangeline. It's just so crazy. Like, you don't think about Jim Cummings as being a like, real, like, is that Don Carnage thinking about Evangeline? Well, no, like I was, <laughs> I was thinking like, you don't think about Don or Don Carnage. You don't think about Jim Cummings <laughs> as man. being like a really good singer, but he's a really good singer. He can sing. He can really sing. And, and we've talked about this before. Voice. He's one of those few people who can sing in his voice. Yeah. It's That's really hard good. to do. So Princess and the Frog. And then their most recent film was this movie called Moana. I don't know if you heard of it, but yeah. they won an Oscar or something. Yeah. And basically anything that we could say about about Clements, we could say about John Musker, except that I think John Musker started as a cartoonist. But other than that, they've essentially, their careers are linked at the hip. Yeah. Now this, this movie was based on The Little Mermaid. It was a story by Hans Christian Andersen. Written back in 1837, or first published in 1837. And the story of The Little Mermaid uh, is f- kind of similar. Uh, there's it, it's, it has more religious tones because in the story, instead yeah, of... It's lo- a lot darker. Yeah, it is a lot darker. So in the story of The Little Mermaid, she's actually looking for a soul. She, she, like, she wants to... It's something about mermaids only living so, a certain amount of time. So mermaids live 300 years and humans have much shorter lifespans. But humans have souls and mermaids do not. When they die, they just turn into sea foam and disappear yeah. from the universe. They so, just stop existing. So she wants to get a soul. She goes to the sea witch. The sea witch tells well, her... Well, she's in love with the prince. And, she, the, yeah. and the sea witch tells her that by accident... Not by accident, but if you get the prince to fall in love with you before he gets married... Uh, and basically you're the one who gets him to marry him, then uh, you'll bo- not only will you get a soul, but you'll get to stay human and get everything. Basically, like, life will be perfect for you. Yeah, but the story has a lot of really dark elements, like the, the potion that she takes to turn her into a human. Oh, it's God. Some- it's something that's described as, like, being run through with a sword. Yeah, like it, that says it kind makes of it pain. feel as if a sword is being passed through her body. Yeah, and then... It, the the prince really oh, likes... Oh, and then also, when she walks, she constantly feels 
uh, sharp knives stabbing her in the feet. Yeah, so walking is walking is super painful for her. She's a really good dancer because I think that was part of the the spell is she's a really good dancer. So the prince likes to see her dance and like basically asks her to dance all the time, which she obliges. Which then makes it feel like she's dancing on, yeah. on knives. Yeah, so eventually the prince chooses someone else and the sea witch says, okay, if you just kill the prince... Then you'll get your soul and yada, yada, yada. And then she relents at the last minute, throws the knife away. Doesn't okay, she's going to die. Yeah. She's going to, the prince is going to marry somebody else. Yeah. I think he has already married someone else. At this no, point. no, no. Well, so then he's about to. Yeah. So then she, she basically, what does she do? She tries to jump back in the water and then she ends up floating up into the sky. And she becomes, turns into foam. Yeah. But then she floats up into the air because uh, she refused to kill him. Like her all twisted goodness, whatever. Yeah. The sisters of air essentially brought her up and now she has the opportunity to earn a soul by doing good deeds on earth for uh, the next couple hundred years. Yeah. So it, it ends, it ends with her, making a decision and and it's it's sort of sad but sort of hopeful at least which is not usually how Hans Christian Andersen's ends ends his uh fairy No, tales. if you don't know about Hans Christian Andersen, his stories are the Ugly Duckling, Nightingale, Thumbelina, the Emperor's New Clothes and the Snow Queen, which fun side note, Frozen was originally storyboard storyboarded and conceptualized to be a retelling of that, but there are so many changes made that the final result ended up sort of looking nothing like the Hans Christian Andersen story, but I just thought that it was kind of cool. Yeah. So um, the story for this movie was written by John Musker, Ron Clements, Howard Ashman, Garrett Graham, Sam Graham, and uh, Chris Hubble, uh, produced by John Musker and Howard Ashman. And uh, Howard Ashman has a little bit of history in, um, in a couple of different things. Little Shop of Horrors is, I think, where he got started writing lyrics. Mm -hmm. So he did the lyrics for Oliver and Company, which I think is a highly underrated Disney movie in terms of lyric, in terms of music and story. Um, he also did the main uh, theme to one to a show that we did a long time ago called Cartoon All Stars to the Rescue. Yeah, it's not maybe his most crowning achievement, but he did do the lyrics and executive produce Beauty and the Beast, and he died. The year this movie came out, and the mo movie was then dedicated to him. At the same time, they were already working on Aladdin, and he had written the uh, the songs "Arabian Nights," "Friends Like Me," and "Prince Ali," and those were sort of uh, posthumously uh, posthumously added into Aladdin after he died. Yeah. So even even in death, his work lived on. You know what I'm noticing about the people that are involved in this is that they're all involved in like, a lot of them are involved in really some of the best stuff that Disney has ever produced. And it was just sort of, it seems like it was just a really good confluence of events. It's like a led, really lucky accident. That led to this Disney renaissance. You had these guys that had been working for Disney and then they all just sort of got together and started making great movies um the movie was directed by ron clements and john musker and i brought up that previous point because the music is done by alan menken who also did beauty and the beast aladdin pocahontas hunchback of notre dame hercules enchanted tangled and also did sausage party yeah i, I put that in there because i thought that was i went i'm saving it for last yeah so basically saving the wieners for the basically, end just basically for you. basically all of the disney uh the disney renaissance uh, plus a couple of other really good ones like like Tangled and Enchanted. Tangled is great, by yeah. the way. It's super good. Now, the, the main soundtrack for this movie, I would say, is as iconic as the movie itself. The, the songs are so popular yeah. that you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody between the ages of 20 and 45 that doesn't like, at least know one lyric you from don't even, one of these songs. This is how iconic the music is. You could just play 
this clip. This little like three second clip. And Can I just say, uh, just just for the audience out there, that that what we do sometimes is is we don't have a soundboard. We'll put that in in post. So I don't even know what sh clip Sean's going to put in, but I can guarantee you that I can already think of a three second clip that would tell me that I'm listening to The Little Mermaid. Yeah, all you need is the... <laughs> like, that's it. That's it. And then you know, oh, this is The Little Mermaid. And yeah, I that, think, that G major key. Yeah, and I think that that is... And and I noticed this as I was watching as I was watching the movie and as I was li I actually listened to the whole soundtrack today, as I was listening to the soundtrack, this movie is you know this movie is is considered by some people as is Broadway coming to Disney broad it's like a Broadway musical yeah. that that dis that that is a Disney film and like I'm gonna go see Hamilton in a few weeks and I was listening to the Hamilton soundtrack and. You can tell on Broadway, you can tell in Broadway musicals that they use like musical cues and motifs. They do reprises of songs. They do all kinds of, they, they go back to, they go back to, to hits, uh, not like musical hits, but they, they, they hit like the same notes over and over again to well, sort of do bring so, you do back. Like a, like a 10 second refrain. Yeah. Or uh, that repeats from, from an earlier song to yeah. remind you that this character is now going to be introduced or this theme is, is now being introduced. Yeah. They do a reprise that's in a different key, but it's the same music where it, it's something that's happier or, or sadder. And that happens a lot in this movie, specifically the, uh, the, the song part of your world. They reuse that music over and over throughout the movie, just in background music or in other actual reprises where she sings again about that song. And it's very much a Broadway way of doing the music. That song, Part of Your World, it actually almost didn't make it into the movie. That seems nuts to me. But apparently it was because during a early, early test screening, it didn't seem to go so well with the, the young kids in the audience who I guess were getting rowdy. Yeah. And so Katzenberg, our good buddy Katzenberg... Uh, thought that the song needed to be cut, and so Musker, Clements, and Keen all said basically no, and they cited a similar situation with the song "Over the Rainbow," which was nearly cut from *The Wizard of Oz*, and so they used that as an example. So Keen pushed for the song to remain into the movie uh, until it was in until the movie is a more I guess finished product, mm -hmm. and then during the second test screening, the scene that now had color and was like fully fleshed out, was and tested with a separate audience, and the kids loved it. So I think it was just a, like, you can't show a kid a half-ass product and then expect them to be happy with it. Yeah. You know, but, but overall, I'd say that this, I would say that the soundtrack, the fact that it's six-time platinum, it, it, there's reason for that. Yeah. You know, you know? I was reading about, specifically about this song, and uh, one, one of the things that I read said that this Part of your world is the first instance in a Disney film of the protagonist essentially laying out what they want. Like that's the whole point of the song is she's talking about what she wants and what she wants out of like the story and life. You know, it's like she wants to be up where the people are. She wants to do things that people do. She wants to like enjoy life. Like that's her, that's her thing. 
all the other movies after that did the same thing. Like uh, in Beauty and the Beast, it's the song Belle at the beginning when she's walking through the town and she's talking yeah. about all the things that she wants. In Pocahontas, it's just around the river bend. She talks about all the things she wants. Yeah. In um, there's uh, like in in Tarzan. Maybe well, not Tang- Tarzan. Tangled has Tarzan, one. T- Tangled is Tangled uh, has one in the bar where it, they're all talking about. Well, um, no, the the one for Tangled is uh, when will my life begin? Oh, see, it, because there's more than one. There's also the one in the bar mm-hmm. where they're singing about uh, all of their dreams. The the song I have yeah. a dream, and and uh, Flynn Rider has that funny line where. Uh, where he basically says he doesn't have one, so they threaten to kill him, and so he comes up with one on the on the spot yeah. saying, uh, "I have dreams like you know, really, just not so touchy feely." <laughs> yeah, just uh, he wants to be someplace uh, nice and warm and sunny, uh, left all alone with yeah. enormous piles of money that he yeah. throws in at the end, so that they don't kill him. Yeah, uh, but like. You're right. I think a lot of the in, in the th- Lion King, it's I just can't wait to be king. Right, Frozen. Yeah, Frozen. It's Frozen. It's the um. Oh, what is it? It's it's not the it's not the let it's not let it go. It's the uh, it's the um, it's the one that Do you want to build a snowman. No, no, it's the one that Anna sings when. Uh, oh, oh, uh, where, love us an open door. No, 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 not the one with him. It's the one that she sings when she's like opening up the castle to oh. let everyone in. Okay, like that's that's I can't remember the name of the song, but that's that's the one. That she, uh, that's the one that she for the sings. first time in forever. For the yeah, the first there time in go. forever. That's the one. Did not look that up. Yeah, I have so, a four year old. So <laughs> this movie, this movie like started that trend of having the protagonist in the in the Disney film sing a song about what they want out of yeah. life. Well, and Disney tends to be pretty smart with the way that they write the these these scores. I I briefly said something about the key of G earlier, and this movie almost the entire movie is in G. It's either G major. For all the happy stuff, intro, outro, etc., or G minor for all the darker moments, and so the, the entire movie, except for one small spot, is G major, G minor. They the tour of the kingdom scene where where they're uh, in the carriage. Okay, so that scene actually is the one exception because it switches between G and E major. But Disney tends to do that, and musicals do it in general a lot too. They'll sort of pick a key and keep the whole thing in one key, and they'll do key changes, of course, to signify something particularly different has changed, but... But the, the entire musical will sort of be in broad strokes in a specific key. I think it, they hadn't really been doing that before. Yeah. And G is sort of a whimsical key. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 It's a, yeah. Uh, the story was, uh, the story was developed, you know, the story started out, it, it was a story that Walt Disney himself wanted to do. We talked about. Way back in the we day. We talked about this uh, concept back, way back, actually not when we covered a Disney movie, but when we talked about Rockadoodle. Mm-hmm. Because Disney used to keep this ledger, I think they still do somewhere. It was a ledger that that Walt had that had a list of all these like different concepts of films that he wanted to do based on popular folklore and folk myth mm-hmm. and you know uh, old school European fairy tales 
And Little Mermaid was one listed on there going all the way back to the 1930s, along with Chanticleer from Rockadoodle, mm-hmm. actually, which is where they got the idea for that. But but yeah, you're right. It started way, way in the beginning. But oddly enough, the the movie sort of had, it's like Walt had these ideas in the 30s and then it sort of never happened. It just kept fizzling, kept fizzling. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, well, not at the same time, but <laughs> decades later, but separately, completely unaware Ron Clements was in a was in a bookstore and saw this uh, section of uh, books with Hans Christian Andersen and sort of said, "Holy, holy shit! There's all these fairy tale books by Andersen that that are can, all public domain. That are all public domain now, and I can <laughs> use them, yeah. you know." And so that's how we got uh, sort of to 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 Mermaid. Yeah, the this. They thought that the story provided an, a sort of an ideal basis for animating a feature film, for an animated feature film. And I think it does. Yeah, it, there's a lot of potential there because, like, you're under the sea. There's a lot of colors. There's a lot of different animals that you can use, different fish. Uh, and I know that I know that uh, I was reading that they purposely they purposely used when they were animating this like muted colors for above the above the ocean. So that they could use these, like at the beginning of the at the beginning sequence of the movie, where there where Prince Eric is on the ship with all the other sailors, all the yeah. colors are really muted on that ship. It's like misty and and sort of just dull. Yeah. And they did that purposely so that when you go under the sea to see like the the fish and the mer people, that it would be like a shockingly vibrant, yeah yeah like a shockingly vibrant colors change where it's, it's bright smart. colors. Yeah, it's a really smart way to go. The the. The treatment for this ended up originally getting passed over by Katzenberg because, of course, it did. Uh, they were working on a sequel that never happened to the movie Splash. Yeah. That, and that... they thought that they'd be too similar. That's what I mean. The story is essentially Splash and the Shape of Water. Yeah. And, and I know that they had an issue with when they were making this movie. They didn't want it to be thought of like Splash. And that's why they purposely made her have red hair. So that they that they wouldn't be so that there wouldn't be as many comparisons to Splash because that was a blonde that was a blonde. Yeah. Uh, well, it turns out that after he said no, the very next day he said yes, along with Oliver and company. So yes. So then we ended up kind of getting what we got, and and some of the changes made by the staff in the '30s to the Hans Christian Andersen original story were the same changes made by the Disney writers in the 1980s, but they didn't realize it till later. Mm-hmm. It's not like they did it on purpose. They didn't. I don't even think they went back and looked at it until probably you know a decade after this movie was made and realized it, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Crazy. Apparently, it, th- this movie also had a two-page idea that got expanded into a 20-page rough script pretty much like immediately. Mm. And th- that's... There's a bunch of the stuff that, that kind of got changed in the shuffle that we didn't really cover as, as part of the differences between the two. Like, the grandmother character in the original story is just gone. She doesn't exist. Yeah. And then they expand the sea witch, which was a sort of accidental character in the original story, and she's a main protagonist. Antagonist. Or antagonist. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, it, it's... The, the story for how this movie got made sort of is a long one and and one one of the things that that i guess you could talk about is howard ashman getting involved and, and his contribution from some of the movies that we listed off earlier he, he got involved two years before this movie came out and so he he had a lot of time to work on it 
kind of because he had worked on other stuff like Oliver and Company. Yeah. And so he had actually proposed changing uh, the minor character Clarence, who was the butler crab that was in their initial re- uh, write, to a Jamaican crab. And shifting the music style to be more Calypso, ca- Calypso Caribbean. Yeah. By but the you way, you told me something. Interesting. Yeah, but I was I was reading an interview. I think it was an interview with uh, Samuel Wright, who is the voice of Sebastian, and he actually said that Sebastian is not Jamaican. He's from Trinidad, and he specified that the accent he did was a Trinidadian, Trinidad, tr- whatever. It was an accent from Trinidad, not Jamaica. Where I feel like most people would be hard pressed to tell the difference. Like here in America, if you uh, were trying to tell the difference between someone from like deep South Georgia and deep South Alabama, you'd be hard pressed to do that. If you weren't, in, at, you know, intimately familiar with those two accents and be, you know, to be able to tell them apart. I feel like it's splitting hairs from, from an outside perspective. Yeah. From an inside perspective. But you got the, you got the, you got the actual uh, voice of the character who's saying, no, 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 he's from Trinidad. It's like, no, 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 this is my voice. Yeah. This is what it is. Yeah. Well, the animation side of this. The animation side is crazy because this movie. They spent a boatload of money on this movie. They spent a boatload of money on this movie. This movie was animated. It was the last movie. Really, and you can't even say really that it was the last movie to be 100% animated in a traditional sense because they did use CGI in the right. movie. Well, that's what I was telling you at dinner before we yeah. recorded. Right? They use CGI in a, in a few spots, but for the most part, this is a traditionally animated movie. Hand drawn cells that were then uh, that were then put to celluloid and had backgrounds painted. It was a traditional animated movie, except for a few a few parts. But it was really the last movie that Disney did in this style. And I actually read that Pixar, or at least the beginnings of Pixar. I don't know how long Pixar has been a company. Has it been since the late eighties? Because whatever maybe whatever the company Pixar was before it was Pixar, the same people that were involved, they actually developed a uh, they they developed uh, in working on this movie. They didn't use it for the movie, but I think they worked on this movie. And in working on it, they developed a technique of digitizing. Mm -hmm. It's called CAPS, Computer Animation Production System. Yeah, so they developed that from working on this movie, and then they used it later in later movies. Instead of the, they use that digitizing the cells instead of uh, like filming them on celluloid. Well, so yeah, what happened was is in the Rescuers Down Under, which was their next Disney mm-hmm. film, they used this caps method, which eliminated the need for uh, cells, right, and the multiplane camera and all these other effects. And so, the Little Mermaid was the last one to really use these traditional methods yes because they all went away afterwards uh but there was i think two scenes and we'll talk about them as as we go that that uh essentially had some 3d elements ish and that really got played up in the ne- in the next big one uh beauty and the beast a couple yeah, years later absolutely because that that has a, a full cg scenes yeah it. just think of the think of the ballroom scene yeah in in Beauty and the Beast, that is, that's all CG, including the dress, I want to say. So the thing to think about here is this movie was hand-drawn. 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 And they had to use three different studios for this. So the original and main animation studio in Glendale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then they had another one in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, that they had opened during the production of Mermaid. And then they uh, they also had to outsource to a Chinese company because think about just for the bubbles yeah think over about a that. million bubbles they they estimated were all hand drawn hand animated in China and then put in 
in celluloid over the top of all the other animation. Yeah, think about every time anybody does anything in the movie where they're either moving quickly or they just are are doing a normal action and they're underwater, there's bubbles involved. Just like when Sebastian takes his when Sebastian takes his uh his his musical score out of the shell, as he pulls it out, a bunch of bubbles come out. So it, it, it's crazy to me. Uh Disney as an animation studio, and I actually showed Kathy this earlier, they have a they have a tendency to use live models uh they did i don't yeah. know if they still do but they used live models and in some cases this is the first time that they've done it in a long time yeah. disney had done it way back yeah and i like I in was, early days i was but... showing her pictures of the girl who who did the voice for alice from alice in wonderland uh-huh. and, the, and the um the, the kid the boy who did the voice for peter pan and peter pan and they actually modeled the characters after the voice actors. Yeah. Because they would have them dress up in the costumes and then the animators would sit there and animate them. They, which is a, something that they they didn't necessarily make the characters look like the voice actors in this. But I would say in the last 10 years or so, Disney started to do that. Yeah. Where they started to take characters and say, well, we're going to make them different, but it'll sort of look a little bit like the voice actor. You know what I'm thinking of is probably one of the earliest ones that they started really doing that again was Toy Story. Because Woody sort of looks a little bit like like Tom Hanks. Yeah. So and Buzz looks a little, a little bit like Tim Allen, but not much. Yes. But but yeah, they, that wasn't like a big thing, but they this at least they were using people that they would video moving and walking around and pantomiming things. And yeah. then the... the the artist would go back in and, and draw over it. Yeah. Now this isn't a this isn't a uh, this isn't like a big secret because they came out and said it out loud that they modeled uh, they modeled the the character of Ariel uh, after Alyssa Milano because at the time she was on Who's the Boss she was a very popular teen actress so they modeled her face and a little bit of her body after Alyssa Milano and if you put two if you put a picture of Ariel and a picture of like 1988 87 Alyssa Milano side by side they're very similar feature wise at least that's what they were going for they also used Sherry Stoner who we talked about when we talked about we talked about her before yeah. as a as an actress she was part of the groundlings she actually provided a lot of the um a lot of the uh movement models as like yeah. her body she would she would uh, yeah. she would do scenes like when when Ariel So it's was... like they they modeled Ariel's look physicality on Alyssa Milano but then to get the actual movements down they used Sherry Stone. Yeah, her her mobility, her her uh, kinetic movement was modeled after Sherry Stoner. And then her hair is modeled after Sally Ride in, in video of her in space, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, that's how they got the floaty hair. I actually also saw some some video clips of Sherry Stoner actually underwater. That was like another thing that they did. They actually around. get her underwater and then videotaped it. Now, the thing that I I didn't ever realize until actually doing the notes for this, but I cannot believe I didn't think about it, is that Ursula is based upon Divine, the oh, drag yeah. performer. She looks and it exactly makes so like much Divine. Sense. Exactly like Divine. So for our listeners, our, our flesh bros out there, if you don't know who Divine is, Divine is a uh, is actually a stage name for a a drag queen named Harris Glenn Milstead who very famously uh, clo- was closely associated with John Waters. And, uh, and the character was actually used in a, in a film called Pink Flamingo. Mm-hmm. And Probably the most, I think that's the most famous one. Yeah, that's the most famous, but, but there's been several. Divine has appeared in all kinds of stuff. Pink Flamingo, if you don't know what it is and you don't want to get grossed out, 
then don't watch it because there's some kind of gross stuff in there. But it's it's sort of like shock value. Yeah. Um. But yeah. It, so so Ursula is modeled after a drag queen, really, yeah. and also uh, some other characters too. Uh, Joan Collins in her role as Alexis Carrington from Dynasty is also uh, a, su- a suggested sort of um, uh, modeled after, but mostly Divine, which is nuts yeah. to me. I mean, that's crazy. Now, Pat Carroll was not Clements and Musker's first choice. Pat Carroll is the voice of Ursula. And the original script had B. Arthur selected as that. Yeah. She, but they, she turned it down. Because she was working on Golden Girls at the time. That's true. But they also approached uh, Nancy Marchin, Nancy Wilson, Roseanne, Charlotte Ray, and Elaine Stritch. And they, uh, a lot of them were considered, Stritch actually was cast. But then, I guess, didn't along with Ashman's style of music. And so that's when, when Carol got brought in. And I could not be happier with the choice made. Yeah. Ursula, for me, steals the movie. Oh, man. When we were watching it no last... No doubt. Even as a kid, Ursula stole the film. Yeah. Last night when Kathy and I were watching it, she, as soon as Ursula's Poor Unfortunate Souls came on, the the like her big number, <laughs> Kathy was under... She had a blanket on her lap. As soon as the song came on, she started singing along with it. She was hamming it up, looking at me. She got up with the with the blanket. I just meant her dancing. No, and, she got yeah. up with the blanket and she started spinning around, going "Poor unfortunate souls." And it was it, just, I it's kind of hard not to like kind of get into that song. It's it's so well. You know done. what? I, I one of the one of the bits of so one of the funny bits of trivia that I that I had read about that song in particular is that Pat Carroll when she was when she was singing it when she was uh, like practicing it rehearsing it she wasn't like getting it the way that uh ashman wanted her to get it so he actually took a cape and he was like he started singing the song and doing doing these like big exaggerated motions as he was singing and she admits she's like i used that i put the cape on and i did the same big crazy motions that he did and that's how i got like the the really just sort of bombastic delivery that i that i had and he she said that she actually stole some of his ad-libs that he made while he was like rehearsing the song for her where it was uh like you don't get anything for free or uh, like just little quips that she makes. It's actually stuff she stole from Ashman during his rendition of it when he was when he was singing it for her. Oh, and she it's actually, like where um, if you want to cross a, cross the bridge, then you better pay the toll. Something like yeah. And which which can I just say that line I thought was funny because cro- they don't ha- they wouldn't have a bridge underwater. Yeah, and and like they don't have feet, and so the idea of crossing a bridge and paying a toll would like not make sense to somebody who. Ha- swims everywhere yeah and and the other the other thing there was another character that 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 was a that had a song where he did the same thing like he he you know acted out the song and sang it for the actor and the guy was like okay i'm gonna just do exactly what you did you know it's sort of like it reminded me of it reminded me of the nightmare before christmas how danny elfman was he was the composer of it and he wasn't originally going to be the voice of the singing voice of Jack and when he was when he was trying to t- like get to across like how he wanted the song sang like the what's this all the songs that Jack sang the director was like why don't 
why don't you just sing the songs? And he's like, oh, okay. You know, it, it sort of reminded me of that where, where Ashman was just, he was so good at singing the songs and being those characters that the, that the actors like stole things They're from like, him. Well, screw it. I'll just yeah, copy like, him. Like what the yeah, hell? I mean, you, know? you wrote, you wrote the song, so I might as well do it. Like you said, it was the same thing with Danny Elfman. Exactly. I, I, I think, what was it? Danny Elfman said that, that his favorite role was, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Jack Skellington. So, I mean, sometimes it's sort of fun to get to be the one who writes the music and then, you know, is the character. Yeah. So should, but, we, should we talk about the rest of the cast then since we've been talking yeah, about let, Pat Carroll? Let's do it. So Pat Carroll, let, let's just start off with Pat Carroll then. She's known as a, an actress for TV, film, and, and also voice work, but she's done stuff like A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Goofy Movie, Pound Puppies. So she likes dogs. Yeah, I guess. But this is her most famous role. Yeah. I think we talked about her before and doing some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, the, the main character, technically, is Jodie Benson, who is 56 at the time we were recording and does not look it, I, I have to say. Yeah, she, and think about that. She did this role when she was like 20, 26, 27 years old. Yeah. She's also the voice of Barbie in the Toy Story uh, uh, Toy Story movies. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this, but I mean, I, I know this because I did the notes, but also because I've been watching this movie a lot lately because Joy loves this movie, apparently, is Thumbelina huh. from 94, which I don't remember at all. But she's also the voice of Thumbelina. And it's sort of hard to watch that and just not think Little Mermaid because yeah. her voice is so distinct. And from, from what I saw, she also does the voice of Ariel whenever there's like a Little Mermaid thing. A Disney Little Mermaid. Oh, yeah, no. Especially so she, if it's Little Mermaid. Yeah, she's like, her. she's like Bill Farmer. She does the she is the voice of the Little Mermaid. She is the voice of Ariel. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know this, but she's also the voice of Tula in Pirates of Dark Water, which I think is on our request list. Yes. The next character is Prince Eric, who is done by Christopher Daniel Barnes. Um, he was he played the title role in the Spider-Man animated series from the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, he also da, had roles da, da, in... Da, <laughs> I, like, yeah, I can't not hear it. He also, he also had roles in Captain Planet, uh, the live action series Starman, Touched by an Angel, Jackie Chan Adventures, Jackie! I don't want no trouble. <laughs> that's basically that's a, Jackie Chan's line in every movie. It's, yeah. I don't want no trouble. Yeah. Uh, he was also in Sonic Underground, and he was in Beverly Hills 90210. And I think the most interesting thing about him was that at the time that this movie was put into production, he recorded the lines that he did as Prince Eric, and he was 17 at the time. Well, Princess Ariel is done by Jodie Benson, and she was in her 20s, and her character is supposed to be 15. Yeah. Whereas his character is supposed to be in his 20s, but he's only 17, so it's like a weird switch. Yeah. But he was he was uh, described as having a very mature voice, and that's why he landed the role he did. Now, the next character, Sebastian, it, we mentioned briefly as Samuel E. Wright, and I didn't realize that he's Kron from Disney's Dinosaur. Did you get to see that movie? No, I didn't. It's actually really good. I had never seen it, uh, you know, when it was in theaters, and I watched it uh, earlier uh, last year. It was good. Hmm. But I didn't know this either. He was also the voice of Mufasa in the original Broadway run of the Lion King musical. And he's been nominated for a couple of Tonys. But essentially, anytime Sebastian is on anything, it's him. Now, you know what I didn't remember about Sebastian? It was the first thing that blew my mind watching this movie. What? I didn't know that his role in the in the uh, the, the court, the, the kingly court of Triton, was that he was the court composer. 
Yeah, that's it. I, I didn't know that. I thought that he was some kind of advisor to the king because See, there's that's so many what I other remember too. Because there's so many other parts in the movie where he's giving advice to people. And and I didn't realize that he was that he was the composer, but then watching the movie and seeing other things, like specifically the the kiss the girl sequence, which is a whole problematic song that we can talk about. I yeah. was talking to Kathy about it. But that whole that there whole sequence. You rape her. No. No. <laughs> but but what what's funny is so Scuttle. The, which we'll talk about in a minute. Scuttle is trying to like set the mood in that scene, and he's he starts to sing, and he's he does wah, wah, wah. yeah. Which is by the way, which is I, I read somewhere that the song that he's actually singing is the overture from from the uh, the opera or the the symphony for Romeo and Juliet. Wow, <laughs> somebody should find that poor animal and put it out of its misery. Jeez, Mum, I'm surrounded by amateurs. <laughs> no shit. Yeah, so that's why he's like, I'm gonna set the mood, and he that's starts singing awesome. something from Romeo and Juliet. But I laughed really hard at that scene because. Because uh, <laughs> Sebastian dives into the water, clips a piece of like reed to make a conductor's wand, a right. conductor's baton. And as he's doing that, he goes, I'm surrounded by amateurs. He's like, if you want to do something right, do it yourself. Yeah. And then they do that whole sequence of Kiss the Girl where it's like strings, winds, words. Yeah. Dr- yeah. Or it's percussion. Yeah. Strings. Yeah. But Blues. no, I think... Words. Uh, Heart! No. <laughs> Go rapist. Yeah. No, uh, I think that the... I think that the... the You know, and I don't like... I don't like being like this... You know, I like to look at things in the context of which they were... Like, it was a sweet song. They were trying to do something for... Like, the context... You spent too much time with me. Yeah. That's what... That's, that's no, like, the, the context... The context of the scene is that she wants him to kiss her, and she is having her friends help her in that regard but there are parts in the song that are just like the the part that gets me is the part where it goes yes you want her look at her you know you do possible she wants you too there's one way to ask her it's like no no well there is one way to ask her you ask her with with your (laughs) mouth but not by not by leaning across and and then yeah that whole sequence is that whole sequence is is just I mean, it's a good song. I like that song. But then when you actually, you know, you hear something a million times and then you go back and you listen to, you actually read the lyrics and you're like, what have I been singing for 30 years? What am I teaching to my children? Ah, that's fine. Yeah. Rape is okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sexual assault is too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the next character is Flounder, who's done by Jason Marin. He hasn't really done a whole lot. Yeah. He's had bit parts in a bunch, not even a bunch. He's had bit parts in about a dozen things, like literally one episode of a TV show. Yeah. And then that's it. And then King Triton is done by Kenneth Mars, who died in 2011. He was Franz Liebkin in The Producers, uh, done in 1968, and he was also Inspector Hans Wilhelm Frederick Kemp in Young Frankenstein, and he is also Francis's recurring boss in the show Malcolm in the Middle, and was Professor Screwwise in We're Back, a Dinosaur Story. You know, that's what I remember him the most from, the voice at least. Uh, yeah, I do too. And King Colbert in Thumbelina. And uh, both of those movies are at the moment on super regular rotation at my house. Now, Buddy Hackett is Scuttle, mm-hmm. and he is very famous for being uh, Marcellus Washburn from The Music Man, but he was in uh, Mad, 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 Mad World, and uh, he's also a comedian. 
And the next character well, is... Well, wait, before you, before you go, uh, before we leave that character, I feel like, I, I mean, I just feel like it based on the... Uh, Based on the way that he delivered his lines, I feel like some or a lot of his lines had to have been ad-libbed. Oh, yeah. No, they. Ha- I feel like they had like to Like, the, the first line where you see me, he's like, mermaid off the port bow. And then he, and then he like, moves the, he moves the, uh, the spyglass down and goes, whoa, what a swim. Yeah. Like, like, it's just so nonchalant that I feel like that wasn't written down. No, I feel like they just filled him full of tequila and said, go for it. D- do it. And then yeah. he just did. Now, uh, Grimsby, Grimsby is done by Ben Wright, and he was Air Zeller in The Sound of Music. He's the narrator from 1963's Cleopatra. He's known as the voice of Roger Radcliffe from 101 Dalmatians and Rama the Wolf, Mowgli's dad, the in the from, an- from uh, the animated Jungle Book. Now, interesting little fun fact is when he got the role for this... They did not realize that he had done both of those roles back in the 60s. Yeah, they didn't know that he was a they Disney totally employee. They totally forgot that he was a former, two-time former Disney employee. And he had to remind them, oh, wait, I know how this goes. I was Roger from 101 Dalmatians yeah. and Rama from Jungle Book. And they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, okay. And it's not like Roger was... I mean, Rama is a is a character that's only at the beginning of the movie in the Jungle Book. But Roger is freaking... Roger is like the main, movie. He's a main character. He also has some pretty good lines too. Now the next yeah. one, uh, I, you know, you so, told me about this. The next one is Patty Edwards, who plays Flotsam and Jetsam. And there's something that she was in that Chris doesn't want to tell me, or he wants me to guess. I, I want you to guess. Give so, me a hint, because I, I like I can't just I don't I didn't look up her name, so I don't know off the top of my head. There is no Dana. Oh, there is only she Zool. was was she the voice of Zool? Gozer. She's the voice of Gozer? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, from Ghostbusters. That makes sense now it, that I'm and then, listening. Now, now, you hear that, and yeah. then... So, here, let's play them side by side. First, here's Gozer. And now, here's Flotsam and Jetsam. Poor child. Poor sweet child. She has a very serious problem. If only there was something we could do. And there's no way that you can't unhear it. It's impossible. It's it's the same voice. You will always hear it forever now. But she's done Star Trek and Night Court and a bunch of other stuff. Now, I can't say this guy's name. I love saying this guy's name. Rene Abergenois. But he's one of my favorites because he's Odo. From yeah. DS9. And he's been in a bunch of stuff. We've talked about it a bunch of times. Yeah. He's rather prolific. And Frank Welker as the sheepdog, because of course it's Frank Welker. Frank Welker apparently, by the way, has worked with Clements and, and Megan like a boatload of times. And pretty yeah. much almost every movie that they've done together. Well, let's now that we got the characters out of the way, let's talk about the movie a little bit. Just a little bit. And we've got a special guest. Kathy's Corner. <laughs> Kathy's yeah. Corner. Yeah. So Kathy's Corner. Ka- Kathy and I had watched, we watched the movie after much trial and tribulation last night. And I said earlier that I hadn't probably seen the movie in easily 20 years. And when was the last time you had seen the movie? Oh, probably like a year or two ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm 31 now. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. So what, what about this movie? Like, it was, it was one of your favorites? Was it your favorite when you were a kid? It was my favorite up until when I saw Lion King. Okay. Because that had cats in it, so that was the second best thing. There's animals, water. so yeah. so you were done. Yeah, yeah, it was over. But um, 
I told Sean that my biggest memory of My Little Mermaid is actually getting in trouble for my mom. I used to go into the bathtub and try to mimic her scene where she had the waves splashing behind her. So I'd bounce back and forth in the bathtub, pushing my heels against the bathtub to get water to come splashing forward. And uh, my mom came in and slipped and fell because I spilled too much water. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear. I didn't hear that part. Evil of the story. Ariel. Evil. Yeah, that happened multiple times. But like one time, she did slip. I mean, she was fine, but I basically was banned for a long time from taking baths because I kept doing it and I refused to stop. So now, what did you like about the movie? Everything. She's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> She's beautiful. Like she what's... had the best life. Her best friends were a bunch of fish, and I was obsessed with the water when I like from the age of like two. What was your What was your favorite song from the movie? The cave song. The cave song. Yeah. Part of your world. Yeah. Does every girl like like that song the most? <laughs> um, I would I would think so. Did you cry when uh, when Triton came in and like destroyed her grotto? Yeah, because that's a super dick move, Dad. Triton was a lot like my dad. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Did you? Did maybe you... that's why. Maybe that's why I like Triton because <laughs> I like your dad. <laughs> I was gonna say. Did you relate to Ariel just because she had a a sort of overbearing, overprotective, but also kind of clueless dad? You know, I never probably made that connection, but probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, so. The, let's just let, let's let's do a really brief overview of what the movie is. So essentially, Ariel is Ariel is the youngest of seven daughters. Jesus Christ, seven daughters! Can you imagine? No, I can't. So much. That sounds like so much nightmare. Yeah. So um, Triton is the father. There's it's like no five kids too many. Yeah. There's no mother. There's no mother in the picture. Uh, it's just Triton and his daughters. Well, that's because uh, Disney likes to kill a parent. Yeah. So, why not? Or both. Yeah. So. Uh, Ariel uh, is sort of, I don't want to call her absent-minded, but she is not very responsible. And she blows off a concert that she's supposed to sing in. And uh, she winds up she winds up finding this ship that Prince Eric's on, as well as a bunch of other sailors. And she falls in love with him. I actually sort of likened it to Romeo and Juliet, because the entirety of... This the entirety of this story. Maybe that's why Scuttle was singing Romeo. Uh, Maybe the overture. Maybe, yeah. but the, like the entirety of this story, if you think about it, only happens over the course of like three or four days. The whole story. It's a whirlwind romance. Yeah, and that's how it was in in Romeo and Juliet. It that's, happens over the course of like two or three days. Well, that's the whole argument that Disney movies like ruin girls' expectations for romance. But right? then, like as an adult, because like the guy's supposed to come in on the shining horse or in his beautiful ship, and they're supposed to fall madly in love within three days, and he's supposed to be perfect and listen to everything she says, and she could be self-destructive and crazy, and it doesn't matter because uh, her parents are wrong, and and she lives happily ever after. I'm I'm, I'm sorry I didn't have a horse when I met you. Yeah, all you had was a pink shirt. I did have a pink shirt, <laughs> but no, like. He's trying to show the softer side of Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, like when, but when you think about it, like, and I've seen this argument before is, is like when you're a kid, you relate to Ariel. You're like, no, dad, I know what I'm doing. Right. But then as, as a, a kid, I totally related to Ariel too. I was but, like, oh, her parents, uh, King Triton's so bad. Like he won't even let her asshole. do what she wants. But then as an adult, you're like, wait, no, Triton is 100% right. Joy I mean, wanted me to bring up this point specifically because she apparently like watched it. Not, she knew that we were going to cover it. So she watched it like on her own or something, but she wanted to mention specifically the fact that her dad set rules because humans have sharp things 
and kill fish. And eat them. And eat them. And he doesn't want his daughter to get killed or eaten. So he says, don't go to the surface. That's my rule. Like, you have one rule. That's my rule. Yeah. Like, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had to, like, channel Mrs. Doubtfire. But he, he says, don't go to the surface. And she does it anyways. And then he gets mad. And he punishes her. And she's upset about it. And we're supposed to go along with that. And I was like, no. King I mean, right. And just, Joy, Joy's like, what kind of parent would be okay with him doing that? Like, you have to get upset. Like, don't do dumb stuff. Don't jump in the street in front of a car. Like, you know? Just think of the lyric from Part of Your World where she says, I bet you on land they understand that they don't reprimand their daughters. Bright young women, sickest women, ready to stand. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> I bet you... I bet a feminist. You, yeah, I bet you on the surface, they don't yell and get mad at their daughters for doing stupid shit. They just let them do it. No, if kids are bad, their parents punish. Yeah. Like, oh, the, the the hair flip was in was inherent in that whole that whole line all right is there. like all the flips. No, well, think about it. Her hair is constantly flipping because she's underwater. It's just it's doing it by herself because she's got the attitude. Well, him destroying her stuff, uh, yeah, dick move. Well, I he agree. didn't destroy all of it. Uh, no, he tried. He destroyed the, the the globe and then everything on all the shelves and then everything on like he one destroyed shelf. Destroyed enough. Are you telling me if you go in and you're pissed, you can destroy ninety percent of their stuff and be like, good job, me. Like, well, no. okay, think about it this way. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Think about it this way. The stuff that she collected was indicative of her obsession with the surface world. Imagine if you walked into your kid's room and you found a lot of drug paraphernalia. I was hoping you were going to say pornography. Or, no, pornography is <laughs> fine. Whatever. You, you find... Hey, you, you know, explore your body. Just like, <laughs> don't hurt other people. But, but say you walk into their room and you find a cache of just... Of things that are indicative of something you think is self-destructive. And in this instance, is something that is downright Like, what if deadly. you walked into your kid's room and they so had... Frightened. What if your ki- you walked into your kid's room and they had a collection of heroin needles? I'm a, no, I was going <laughs> to no, say, like... Okay, that's not quite the same, though, because... No, in his, like it it is. in his mind we it is. In his mind it is. We don't know that. No, he said a, a bunch of uh, fish-killing uh, monsters. Yeah, she's obsessed with... She's obsessed with... So imagine the, if she was obsessed with pedophiles. Okay, because... Uh, what a pedophile is, though. But, but, like, my point is... Okay, okay uh, how about this? What uh, if she uh, was, uh, like... A fish pedophile. What oh, if that, she was... That got weird. What if she yeah. was... What if she was, like, super into true crime, and she just had a lot of, like... Serial pictures of dead bodies. I was gonna say she had a lot of serial killer memorabilia, and she was just obsessed okay, with serial I, killers. I hate your hypotheticals; they don't matter <laughs> because <laughs> because they make too much sense. No, no. So my whole point is that everything in that grotto is something that represents something that is a existential threat to his people, or that that's what he perceives it to be. It's an Correct. existential threat. I consider myself a reasonable merman. I set certain rules, and I expect those rules to be obeyed. But, Daddy... Is it true you rescued a human from drowning? Daddy, I had... Contact between the human world and the world is strictly forbidden. Ariel, you know that. Everyone knows that. He would have died. One less human to worry about. You don't even know him. Know him? I don't have to know him. They're all the same. Spineless, savage, harpooning fish eaters. Incapable of any feeling. Daddy, I love him! No. So, his destruction of that stuff is, you don't need to have, like, this is all a temptation. I'm going to get rid of it. And maybe it's, I mean, I'm not saying he didn't go over the top, but, like, that's probably what the character was thinking. 
Didn't we just talk about this today when we were talking about the way certain religions, how they just went through a culture and just destroyed all of it because yeah. they didn't understand it and they didn't respect this. This is tyranny. This is cult- cult- it's a, it's cultural cult- appropriation. No, no, no. I was going to say it's a... Cultural destruction. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a moral, moral relativism. Yeah. That is what it is. So, so so we're essentially trying to argue that moral relativism uh, is is okay, uh, which it's not. Uh, so I, I, think, I think here's the thing. Uh, he shouldn't have destroyed her stuff, but I get why he was mad enough to do so. Yeah. I'll put it that way. I get why he was mad enough to do so, but maybe destroying it wasn't the best move. Maybe then, close it all off, say you're not allowed in, let's come out, let's talk about it and figure shit out. Yeah. And then and then maybe I'll destroy some of it. But but you you get to pick what you But then have think you about think about the fact maybe, that maybe it's, that's a compromise. Think about the fact that it's one his youngest daughter. And so maybe he's gone through this and he's at this point, he's like sick of it. Like, I don't know if the other girls were obsessed with the human world too. You know, though, like looking at them in the few scenes that they're animated, they look like they're a little derpy. So yeah, he's eh. the hottest daughter. By the way, did you notice, uh, did you notice about the other daughters, which I thought about and I thought that it made sense. So all the other daughters have their hair up. They don't have it like out and flowing like Ariel does. They have it tied up somewhere. Right, because she represents the freedom of having your hair fry, yeah, fly free. Like, I, like, I get that. But then I thought about it and I was like, if you lived underwater, I would think that you'd want to tie your hair back. Or just keep it short. Yeah, or keep no it short. There's no way to keep it permanently tied back. Well, do something so that when you're moving around, your hair doesn't just whip in front of your face. But you need dramatic flair. Sean. I know. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I get my Pardon moi. Fashion, not function. As, as long, I, I get that they, they had the benefit of, of cartoon physics. Yeah, damn straight. Cartoon physics all yeah. forever. So Triton destroys her grotto. She, that pushes her to... To the edge. That pushes her. She's living on the edge. She and becomes she, an edgelord herself. And <laughs> she she goes she goes to the local drag show and hits up Ursula. Divine. Yeah, hits oh, up Divine. Yeah. And, and Ursula essentially tells her that... Because uh, she's been spying on her through this whole thing. And Ursula knows that she's in love with the prince. And so she says like, if you give me your voice, I will make you human. And this, and she agrees eventually. And Sebastian and Flounder. Can I just point out there? It's just, it's not in any of the notes, but we actually talked about it long time ago. And I don't even remember what episode it was. that we talked about it. Maybe at some point last early last year, but there's a scene that actually got cut. Or maybe it was just a conversation you and I had. I, I can't remember. Shit runs together now. But yeah. there's a scene cut out of this part of the movie that sort of was used to explain... It was sort of used to explain Ursula... Her relationship? It, no, it's sort of used to explain Ursula and, and how she essentially double crosses... And, and it's, a, it's a sort of exposition of her oh, duplicitousness. Yeah. And so there's this character who they very briefly show as as one of the little creatures floating. Yeah. That has glasses. That's a character who's this nerdy character who wants to be made big and strong. And uh, so she makes him big and strong so he can fall in love with this girl. But what they... She screws it up in some way, right? It's a monkey's paw thing. Yeah. So, so she monkey's paws him and it doesn't work out. And so then she gets to keep him. And so she tricked him in a way so that she could do so. And that was used as like exposition for that. And and it got cut. But there are, if you look at the special edition DVD, you can find it in there. I, I have it at home because of course I do. And so you can find uh, that scene is put in there. It's actually really cool to watch. It's well, super cool. There's another scene that takes place. And I don't know where exactly it takes place but there's a scene that that because ursula has a throwaway line that she uses where she said like this isn't the way it this isn't the way things worked when i was in the palace yeah 
Princess, hurry home, Princess. We wouldn't want to miss old Daddy's celebration, now would we? Ha! Celebration indeed. Oh, bah! In my day, we had fantastical feasts when I lived in the palace. Like, that's it. That's all she says about the palace. So there's a scene that was deleted that uh, explained that she was actually Triton's sister and that she was banished for whatever reason. She was banished from the palace and that's why she lives out on the outskirts and she's like a sea witch and and whatever. I think in the in the Broadway play, they delve into that a little more and, and talk about the relationship between between Triton and Ursula. And I was telling uh, I was telling Chris and everyone else earlier that when this song, when the poor unfortunate souls came on, that you just sort of burst into song <laughs> and sang along with it and then stood up and like spun around with the blanket as, <laughs> as you were singing. Because like and up until that point, you weren't being like you were sort of passively watching the, the movie, but then Ursula came on and you were like, Oh, well, my inner drag queen. Came. <laughs> a, your inner, your inner John Waters was like channeled through through yeah. your yeah. outer divine. <laughs> yeah, well, divine she really is divine. Well, like True like that. Chris, like Chris said at the beginning, Ursula kind of steals the show. She's well, the best character. <laughs> yeah, and the way she's animated is super cool. Yeah, like those tentacles are animated really, really well. I mean, if this wasn't a Japanese porn, like Fisherman's Daughter <laughs> and Fisherman's Daughter Two, the retentacling. <laughs> Uh, odd side note: Do you know what she is? Do you know? Do you know what she's called? What do you mean? She's actually a she's a actually like a mythological creature. creature that like like a mermaid is a half man, half half fish. There's oh. a there's another she's called cicalias. Yeah, oh. it's yeah. a half man. Half They're, they come from Japanese and Native American folklore, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Her, her initial artwork uh, depicted her as sort of being like spindly. Yeah, and, it and was. Sort of, she was a spine fish. Well, it was when a spine fish and a, or a lionfish. That's was the original concept yeah. art for her. And then when they made her an octopus, they kept her spindly. And then they said, no, they make her this way. And yeah, they're, I mean, like octopus, my way of thinking, but they're always kind of just big and bulky, not so really fat. Just like they have a lot, they occupy a lot of space. Yeah, like, yeah. I like I mean, the way I like the do, way she they moves. Get give small. Her, they do give her back boobs on her back though. If you look in one scene, well, yeah, you they can did see make that, her chunky. Yeah, but that's that, fine. Yeah, I will say I, I was I, I was qualms about it, but I was impressed, but also surprised at how. Because Ursula is a bigger girl, and so she has bigger boobs. She's a woman. She's a lady. Um, and she she's has, a cicalia. Yeah. So she has. <laughs> she's a bigger cicalia. She's a bigger cicalia. She's a bigger lady cicalia. And she has big boobs because she's a bigger lady. Uh-huh. And so as she's moving around, her boobs have like, you know, almost. A mind like, of their own. I, I was going to say they have almost like dead or alive, like, you know. <laughs> like dead or alive boob, physics? Like boob physics. As she's moving in the water, they're dead like. Dead or alive wah, beach wah, volleyball wah. underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, you know, of course, because I'm a guy, whatever. Yeah. But, so well, it's kind of hard not to notice. I mean, yeah. they, they're animated that way, too. But her hair is animated really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the way that her hair kind of, uh, sometimes, like, when she brings her head forward, it sort of, um, sort of flops over, almost into a sort of messed up pompadour. And you get this, like, forward point that's almost a sort of, well, like, very aggressive and it happens in a couple of scenes where she gets real close to Ariel, like she's going to tell her something. And it's almost like a threatening thing, as if it's got, her hair's almost got a mind of its own. It's really, it's cool the way that they animate it. Yeah. Plus, human Ursula is the hottest character in the movie. Oh, Vanessa? Vanessa? She's a babe. Yeah, yeah that's true. You know, they, you know they only say the name Vanessa 
during the wedding vows. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's the only place that you know that she called herself. Also, Jody Benson did her voice because it's Ariel's voice. Yeah, but well, uh, did you, did Kathy? Do you remember any of the the rumors about the the penile related things in the wedding scene or on the front box cover when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The controversy. The controversy. It's a castle of dicks. Yeah. Well, it is castle of dicks. Or castle of cocks. If you yeah. Know. You know what's funny Cock though? Castle. Yeah. You know what's C-O-C. you know what's Cockburg. funny? You have Scrotenberg. Cocklantis. <laughs> it's the seat of Scrotenberg. Went <laughs> Wang a lot. Boring. Uh Cockopolis. Cockopolis. Uh Chowtown? I don't know. <laughs> Mount Chodlimpus. But no, no, so, no that's that's Hercules. Uh, yeah. No, so like what's funny is you hear about stuff like this, and I guess because this is this is the first one. Like, remember all the other Oh, remember, oh, with remember, the, uh, remember, the Beast's teenagers take off your clothes. That was in that was in Aladdin, Aladdin. and yeah. then the sex in the in the thing. You can see those, but yeah, yeah, but but this was the this was the first one where there was like a a raunchy uh, controversy in a Disney film. Where I remember, I had the box, I had that box where you look at it and you're like, "Yep, that's a penis." That, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you ever seen a grown man naked? That's a penis. Like. Yep. Like, well, and there's the priest scene too. That it, one, that one, I don't think is real. That one, I think is his knee. Well, that's a that's a small knee. Uh, well, think about it. He's just he's this tiny, like, thin, wispy priest. Is he thin? Yes. It's definitely his wiener. <laughs> I it's think 100% it's definitely. See, wiener. I definitely think it's his wiener. Even as a kid, I was like, that's weird. Why does and priest it's, have and it's a only wiener? it's only in there for like half a second. Too. It's his wiener. How could that be his leg? It's his knee. No. I'll. Uh, I'm glad we're spending precious podcast time with Google. <laughs> oh well, because why not? Oh yeah. Oh no, that's not a knee. That's it right there. See there it is. Yeah, Sean, that's his wiener. Oh, Sean, here's a wiener for you. Look. Read that wiener and weep. There's no way that could be his knee. If it's a knee, it's a very weird knee. At any rate, go and Google. You can Google what I Googled and you'll get the same answer. And that's Little Mermaid Priest Penis. So uh, <laughs> so don't do it at work. Clear your browser history. Uh, well, <laughs> safe so, search. So uh, the, the way that we got to that point was that Ariel turns into a human. And then she meets prince eric by the way when she turns into a human uh her her bear behind is shown for about half a second and i was reading that if it was on screen for any longer it would have lost its g rating the movie would have so it's on screen when she when she turns into it it's sort of like the silhouette of her butt oh yeah yeah and so she goes up to the surface she meets prince eric and uh she and her friends try and sort of make Stop him it. fall in love yeah and then uh, that's when you run into vanessa and she that's where where ursula does the double cross and she entrances eric to fall in love with her and marry her instead and then uh all the fish people all the birds and the fish and everything sort of break her break her spell over eric eric falls in love with ariel and then the sea queen or the sea witch grows all big she she gets triton to take Ariel's place as the little seaweed monster thing. And uh, she becomes the queen of the sea and she turns all huge. And then Eric 
stabs her in the gut with a with a with broken a, ship with a broken ship. And now I like that as a kid. That was one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. Um, and the latest WoW expansion, not this new one that's coming out, there is definitely a Little Mermaid battle, and you do impale her with you, your boat. <laughs> you impale her? So Seriously? Yeah, you is do. Is that in like, Legion? She cra- she, yeah, she, like, crashes through your boat, and, like, you fight her, and she eventually starts crashing more of your boat, but you eventually just, like, stab the shit out of her. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's cool. I but mean, I don't, I don't play the new stuff. I, I have to say, it's one of the... private server cough. But, you know, yeah, that, I, that, that sounds cool, though. That death scene has got to be one of the more violent death scenes... For a Disney movie. For a yeah. Disney movie, because he stabs her with the I think I pointed it out ship. before. Yeah. And not just that, but, like, it goes through her body, and then, like, her as she dies, her, you see her skeleton, like, electrocuted. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's animated awesome. Not gonna lie, it's yeah. a cool scene. And then and then uh, Ariel and Eric get married uh, because Triton has the power to turn. Also has magic power with his trident to turn her into a human, and also give her a sparkly, flowy dress. Which I guess that's good. He didn't want his daughter to be naked when she when she went up to talk to uh, Eric after he. After she rescued him. Um, in that scene, by the way, and I, I read this, and I know specifically in that scene that um, the animators specifically drew, in a couple different scenes, but in that one in particular, drew uh, her, drew Ariel in the same position as the Little Mermaid statue. Um, the one that's in, uh, the one that's in uh, Denmark. It's out in the sea. It's the one where she's sitting on the rock with her tail oh, curled up behind her and she's sitting like this. The scene at the end where she's looking at sort of the unconscious Prince Eric lying on the beach, she's in exactly that same position. And she was in that position a couple different times in the movie. So then they fall in love and they, they get married and then they have a kid and a sequel and all kinds of stuff. And that's how it ends. Happy ending. So the reception for this movie uh, is pretty easy to find, but essentially it's got a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And with an audience score of 88%. So, uh, I'm not surprised. It's an awesome movie. Do you have any criticisms of this movie, though? Like, not like I'm not talking about, like, the weird sexual stuff from the songs, but... The, not the stuff that, like, we read too much shit into as adults. Yeah. Because I, mean, um, I, I do, and, and I, I, rec- I realized it watching it last night, I feel like this movie ends really fast. So, okay, I have, I have a complaint, and it's something that Joy and I have talked about. And uh, everybody say goodbye, Kathy. Bye, Kathy. Bye, Kathy. So something uh, Joy wanted me to point out. And it's something that I noticed too. And she reminded me and I forgot about it. And so she had to re-remind me before we recorded. There's a huge, massive plot hole in this movie. A massive plot hole that you don't notice. Do you know what it is? Let's see. Massive plot hole, massive plot hole. It's giant. Massive plot hole... Where are Eric's parents? No. I don't know. Okay, so here's the big massive plot hole for this movie. Uh, Princess Ariel Mm -hmm. signs a contract with Ursula. Mm -hmm. Correct? Yep. Now, when she signs it, she doesn't sign X. Oh, yeah. No, I know what she's talking about. She can read and write. She can write. She writes her name as Ariel. When she goes up to the surface, Prince Eric asks her questions, and she understands him. Which means that they speak the same language. Mm-hmm. So they speak the same language, which would then lead you to believe that they would write the same language. Or at least she'd make an attempt. The massive plot hole is that him not knowing that she is Ariel lies upon the crux of her not being able to speak or communicate with him. Mm-hmm. 
But she has the ability. She could have written, my name is Ariel. I'm the one who saved you, but a witch stole my voice. The end. Yeah. She could have written it in the sand when he picked her up. But she didn't. That's the massive plot hole. So this movie actually, you know, the rest of the movie is unnecessary. Yeah. No, that, I mean, it does make sense. And, and when you when you started talking about it, yeah, I've read a lot of people that have talked about how that's stupid. Like, write, write your name, write out what happened. You know, you... It would have been different if she like did a handprint or something on it or they or they had some the mermaids had some way of like 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 a mermaid thumbprint or something but yeah she wrote her name. Yeah, I thought I mean yeah it, it is I thought it's a big kind of glaring plot hole. And it, you know what's interesting to me is is when Triton when Triton tries to rescue Ariel and he blasts the uh he blasts the contract with his trident and nothing happens. I mean, it blasts Ursula back, but then Ursula comes back and say, "Ha ha ha! See, it's all legal. It's all you. You know, she belongs to me." Which means like, you can't break a legally binding contract. Well, that's what. Like, is she? Is she? Because obviously, they're both some kind of magical power magician shit. Yeah, they're both some kind of magician, some kind of uh, of magic. Yeah. yeah, they're like a magical creature. They have access to magic, so. Is like what is the contract with? Is the contract with like their patron deity, her patron deity? You know why can't he destroy it? Why can't he override it? The only thing that he can do is take her place in that contract. In, in, instead, like I mean, it's it's more of like a. I, I get that it's 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 a it's a plot device, but I'm just trying to like rationalize like what could that possibly be? And maybe they explain it in like the in the uh, the broadway musical because i know they go into more depth in the in the broadway musical but i don't know and there's other things too like where's her mom where is prince eric's parents it doesn't seem like he has any because well there's Grim a fan theory that uh that the prince eric is uh, that the the little mermaids in the same realm is frozen which is also in the same realm as Tarzan. Yeah, I also right? also if you look in, uh, there's but, a scene in a in the grand like ball, not the ballroom, but the 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 scene where uh, he and Ariel are like. Oh, eating. it's implied that his parents are Prince Philip and Aurora. Yeah, from from Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, because there's two big pictures of them on the wall. It looks exactly like them. Yeah, it very much could be them. Yeah, so he could be. So, what do you think is the problematic part of this movie? The. Mm, the part that you said that that is a uh, not perfect. Well, it's it's that the movie just ends really quickly. It, it's, it's a sort of abrupt ending. Yeah, it it builds up like the the ending of the movie happens in about fifteen minutes, if that. The the whole less than that. Part. Yeah, it it's the whole the whole thing where the wedding gets broken up. The it's almost like they said, "Well, we've got only certain. We told all this. We told this great story, all this great music and awesome character development, and we only have enough time." You know, we have to do this in 90 minutes. Yeah. In, and in so now we got to go. This the, movie's 134 minutes long. Is that right? I thought it was 100. I thought it was an hour and like 22 minutes long. Well, or yeah, whatever. So, so in the, 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 the scene, the scene of the wedding, when Vanessa, her spell, when Ursula's spell is broken on Eric from that scene where she grabs Ariel and pulls her overboard, that starts like the climax of the movie. And when she gets down there to the point where she takes Triton's trident and then becomes the giant witch, the giant like sea witch, and then gets impaled by the ship. And then uh, the, the actual wedding of Eric and Ariel, 
I want to say that's like seven to eight minutes long or if so. That. And it, it's just, it's so abrupt. It's like you were on this, you were on this great journey, I guess. And then it's just like, okay, everyone off. Like we're done. Get, you know, the, the movie could have easily been another 10 minutes longer and it would have been more satisfying. Yeah. I think and you so don't normally, you don't normally say that about movies. It's usually like, well, it was a little bit long. You know, they probably could have shaved a couple minutes off that. Like, the, you know, talking about the new Star Wars, you know, they could have shaved the whole 45 minutes of the casino scene out. It wouldn't have changed anything, but it would have made for a more, like, cohesive storyline. Right. Like, you're usually you're usually asking for things to be taken out of movies. But this one, it's like, no, put some more stuff in. Like, I would have wanted more story, more... You know what I, I would have wanted to see is a little more world building of the undersea... The mer people, mer people, yeah. Because you see mostly fish, and aside from, and I know they get more into it because I actually, I I actually watched the Little Mermaid series for a while, um, and they get more into yeah. the world building there, uh, because they could because that that whole series takes place like it's in a, the mer world. Prequel. Yeah, it's a prequel to the movie. Yeah. Now, now, since we're kind of there and we're in it. There are a couple of uh, sequels, I guess you could call them, sequel, prequel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and other pieces of the uh, franchise. Yeah. So the first one is the Little Mermaid Two: Return to the Sea. This is about Ariel and Eric's twelve-year-old daughter Melody, and I guess she wants to return to the sea, but her parents and King Triton together won't let her because Ursula's evil sister Morgana is actually trying to take uh, and and get a hold of uh, Melody. So essentially, it's a story, but in reverse. Yeah. So now Ariel and and Eric won't allow her to go into the water. There's also The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, which is a prequel. And then there's the TV series, which is also a prequel. Now, and there was a, there was a, and I can show you the, the title sequence to it, because I think that's all that got made. I don't know if you saw it. There was a Little Mermaid, I think it was made after the movie. There was a Little Mermaid TV show, live action tv show that was made and i watched it's it's about a two or three minute uh just sort of uh, i think it was like a treatment that they were showing to executives to try and get them to green light the show but it was terrifying because it was a combination live action and like muppets like jim henson style muppets and they had flounder and another fish that were like these weird big bug-eyed puppets and then uh ariel who was a real person and that shit was fucking terrifying it was called like ariel's island or ariel's island adventure or the something. little mermaid's island that's it yeah it's look that shit up it's fucking scary <laughs> i'm not i'm not usually someone that's like it's just it's creepy it's not kid friendly it's not i mean it's not like it's trying to be creepy it's just ugh. Ooh, yeah, I found episode one, Little yeah. Mermaid's Island, there was only Jim's birthday. There was only one episode ever made. So how about this? Uh, I'm going to put a link to it in the, the description down below, and you are welcome to go find it. Nightmare fuel yourself. Yeah, you can enjoy that that nightmare fuel because oh, holy shit, this is <laughs> terrifying. Oh my god, yeah. this is bad. All right, so you know what? Yeah, I'm definitely just going to put a link to it because... I need to ruin your nightmares, just like mine were just ruined. Yeah. So ultimately, what's your what's your uh, what's your verdict on? Well, this Well, do you movie? remember the video game briefly? Mm, no. The only the only uh, the only Disney video game that I really remember is the Aladdin one, and then and the super stupidly hard uh, Lion King one. Okay. So th this one had two games, 
a Nintendo slash Game Boy game, and then a couple years later, there's a Sega game, and the Sega game is not good, like, mm. at all. I would assume it'd be like Echo the Dolphin or something. It is. Yeah, it's it's very similar to Echo the Dolphin. Just and, swimming around. Yeah, and critics argue that it's one of the worst games ever made, but, like, it's not that bad. It's just, like, it's just easy for kids. And then the other one is a, it's a side-scrolling platform uh, game that's uh, you know, it's, uh, better than average, but mm. not great. Um, I was just curious if you if you remember playing those at all. Mm. Uh, my sister was really into the Little Mermaid, so I feel like got rented at my house. I feel like a Little Mermaid game is not something that a, that a boy would rent from from Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or whatever. You know, it, it's not that's not in the boy's wheelhouse. Uh, mine a young, was a young boy. I would have played anything. Like yeah. that's the thing. It's like you know, I didn't have a whole lot of friends, so I would have played anything. Yeah. So ultimately, what did you feel about the movie? What was your opinion? My opinion. Les poissons, les poissons. Can I just say, by the way, that that is my favorite song uh, of the whole movie. It's my favorite scene of the whole movie, and it was as a kid. And as an adult, it's my second favorite now. Because I think I've grown to appreciate the uh, poor unfortunate soul with Ursula more. Because she, she's just so good at it. It's so well animated. The The scene where she uh, rolls upside down and her tentacles kind of uh, spin around almost like a fans. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it, there's just like these little things that are just brilliant. But outside of that, I love the Le Poisson song by Abergenois. <laughs> Abergenois. And, and yeah. So Aubergeois. Aubert, Aubergenois. Aubergenois. He is my favorite uh, as, as a kid uh in the movie yeah. so i would say that my final verdict is this movie's great yeah and and i love this movie and it's uh not my favorite disney movie by any stretch but it's definitely independently it's a great movie i think for me because i've seen it so many times it's in the maybe last diluted couple of years, a little bit for you yeah it's it's one of those ones where if i come home and it's on i'm like oh, okay i'm gonna play video games now yeah um but I, it's uh, like there's no reason that anybody, sh- you know, should skip this movie. So I really like this movie, uh, and I think it was because it was really nostalgic for me. It took me back to that time, that you know, that that time in my youth when I saw it uh, the first time. But to to me, it's aside from the story part that I was talking about, I feel like it's just it's a really excellent movie. Like, it hits a lot of good beats. It has excellent, excellent songs. Like, super catchy songs. Uh, and and they're they're fun. They're entertaining. Lots of bright colors. Like, the characters are interesting in this. You have a super interesting character in... Like, all the supporting characters have personalities. Every one of them. They're all... They're all... Uh, they're, there's not any, like, cardboard cutout characters. Like, Sebastian has has depth like he feels bad about stuff that he does but he you know like flounder has a little bit of depth i I know that like i remember reading that flounder had a cut scene at the end where the shark was supposed to make there's a scene at the end where he's pulling when he's trying to get ariel to the ship the the wedding ship where where uh, ursula is marrying eric and she's he's pulling her on uh on a barrel and the whole movie, Air, or, uh, Flounder is supposed to be like this sort of scaredy cat, this coward. And at the end of the movie, he sort of has his moment to shine because the big shark that attacked them at the beginning comes back. I think his name is Glut. And he, Flounder's still got that that rope tied around him and he's carrying this this barrel because that's what Ariel was using to, to float. 
and he uses he like tricks glut into biting the barrel and the barrel is actually full of gunpowder and for some reason that causes the barrel to explode and it kills the the shark but like oh. that's supposed to be that was supposed to be flounder's like shining moment so like he had, got caught yeah so like flounder originally had some some character development he wasn't just this one dimensional character Ariel had character development. Ursula was amazing. Triton had had development. Uh, like all the major characters in it, like they were good characters. They were solid, like fairly three dimensional characters. And I really like, honestly, what this movie did for Disney in sort of ushering. Well, not sort of, but it, it ushered in their their golden their second golden age, where you had such amazing movies that came after it, and. Like, you know, I'm not some Disney freak, but the the movies that happened between 1989 and, and like, 98 were some of the best stuff that they've ever made. Ever. Probably. Yeah, I would agree. And, and again, that's... <clears throat> I, I'm not saying that, that Little Mermaid's a bad movie or that I don't like it. I think... You're just... You're just... You've watched I'm, it too I'm much. I'm burnt out. Yeah. I'll put, I'm just... I'm burnt out. Yeah. But... I mean, honestly, independently, it's a great movie. Yeah. There's no question it's a good movie. It, it, again, it's not my favorite. Yeah. I have Disney. I, I've said it before that Robin Hood's my, my number one Disney favorite. I don't know why, but it just is. Disney, Robin Hood's my favorite. And then. Uh, you're furry. And, and, well, you know, <laughs> got to keep it purring. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I also really like uh, a couple other ones, but. but that's not to say that this movie's not great. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that if, if you haven't seen this movie, it's, it's definitely something you could burn out. Now, and those of you out there that have kids probably have seen it more often than those who haven't. So I'll put it this way. Moana is another Disney movie that is incredible. It is a fantastic Disney movie, but if you've seen it probably as many times as I have, you don't want to watch think about, The Rock sing uh, You're Welcome Again. Think about all the... Uh, and that sucks because I liked that song and I liked that movie, but I can't watch it anymore right now. I just can't. My think, brain will, will just blow up. Think about all the parents that were subjected to like months and months and months of Let It Go. I know. Like Frozen know. was a good movie. Frozen was a good movie too, and it, it represented a lot of good things. But it it just got sort of overplayed. My kid so. was born right around that time, oh, and no. so it wasn't. It, it thankfully was not the movie that was in rotation as much. Yeah, it wasn't as big a deal. I mean, my kid still loves Frozen, and you know everybody, all kids watch Frozen. But so ultimately, I would say that if you haven't watched this movie in a good number of years, go back and rewatch it. Sort of rekindle that love for for that golden age of disney and if you've never seen it definitely oh my god watch it you you owe it to yourself to watch it because this is what started the the renaissance there's really no demographic i can think of that that wouldn't be pleased with this except for the people who wouldn't be listening to the show anyways yeah so So if you don't like animation and you don't want to watch something good then don't watch the little mermaid yeah that's that simple yeah so if you guys want to talk maybe go watch the little mermaid's island Oh god. Yeah, so if you guys want to talk to us, suggest a show, just talk about this episode, uh you can hit Give us Give us shit for our opinion. Yeah, we'll take or that, that too. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take the bad with the good. You can uh you can uh, find us on Facebook, just search for Childhood Remastered on Twitter at Remastered Cast. Uh we're on Instagram. You can send us an email, childhoodremastered at gmail.com. 
Uh, you can go to our website, childhoodremastered.com. It has all of our contact info. There's even a phone number if you want to call that number and leave us a voicemail. We'll play it on the air and, and you know, not... Embarrass your family. Embarrass your family, yeah. Um, we are part of the... Uh, ACPN yeah, network. A- yeah, ACPN. There's a bunch of good shows on there. They're kind of in the same genre. They're, yeah. they're sort of nostalgia-y and their, their website is... ACPnet.net. You can check them out there. Uh, you can also... Uh, check out uh, lots of, like Chris said, lots of other shows. If you uh, like our theme music, this is the music you hear at the beginning. Uh, we thank uh, John Howarth for the use of that music. The song is called Nascent. You can find a link to his SoundCloud on our website. Like I said, childhoodremastered.com. Yep, and we do sometimes collaborate with other shows, so uh, keep an eye on our uh, info releases via Facebook and uh, Twitter, etc., where we will sort of let you know who we're kind of getting in touch with or cross promoting, or yeah, maybe doing other shows on other networks or other well, uh, just yeah, other shows with other people. shows with other people. Uh, we, we have maybe a couple guest uh, stars appearances ish, if you want to say it, uh, yeah. coming later in the year, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Woo woo, yeah, but uh, I, I, that's probably it for this episode. Yeah, I this has been one that has been sort of a long time coming yes and and so we got and i'm it. glad we did it i am too i'm glad we got it done and out of the way and and uh yeah. and, and so i don't have to worry about getting too burnout on it Yay. so i'm sure the next time i watch it will be in the next uh, couple of days or maybe a week or two but, probably yeah probably but just wait till you have your own show and, and then you can deal with it oh man i'm gonna show them all the disney movies oh but monster squad all monster, monster squad, squad. So uh, until next time, this is Sean. Hey, Chris. And this has been your Childhood Remastered. We will see you next time.